thing. You know, one of the things you see up here is that we're a church that's committed to renewing our legacy, becoming a church the next generation can love. And that's been in the DNA of Meredith Drive Reformed Church, both at our Bridge Campus and our Meredith Drive Campus, for a very long time. And this morning, I want to invite Lori Belknap to come up because our preschool has been a critical part of what it has meant to love the kids in our neighborhood well. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, we have a preschool, an excellent preschool, a preschool that has been running for close to 50 years at this point. And to tell you something about the excellence of that program, there have only been three directors in 47 years years. That's remarkable. And uh, this woman has just finished her 19 and a half year uh, and will be transitioning into retirement. You know, I have to tell you, uh, one of the beautiful things of getting to be the lead pastor is to work next to passionate people. And Lori Belknap, you will not meet a woman who loves kids more, who loves Jesus more, and who uh, is a better administrator than this woman. She has led our program through multiple transitions. She helped launch the Bridge Preschool here. She, under her leadership, we became a five-star preschool. Uh, She helped us discern about five years ago whether we were going to stay a faith-based program or go with Universal Preschool, and she was one of the main champions who said, we need to stay faith-based. And it has been under her leadership, actually, uh, that Tara has been uh, being prepared and groomed to step into the leadership right now, and we're so thrilled about that. So I just wanted to give her an opportunity to say a few words, uh, because she's had such an influence on our church and on lives across the city and, frankly, I think across the world. So... So Pastor Suzanne is right, Uh, 50 years and three directors just getting ready to start our fourth director. That says something about this church. That says something about the value of children and mission and ministry. And so I've been grateful to be a part of that Uh, and stand on the shoulders, frankly, of Greta Van Hemert, who started this as a church ministry in 1971, and Jan Van Wyck, who took over after her. Uh, True story, how I came to be in this position. One night, about 19 and a half years ago, Pastor Jane Brown called me, and I talked to her for a few minutes and hung up the phone, and my husband, Scott, said, oh, what what was that all about? And I said, well, she wants me to come in tomorrow and uh, talk with her about some kind of a a job opportunity, and I I think it's about being on her children's ministry team, and thank goodness she's not going to ask me to be the preschool director, because I would never (laughs) want to do that. (laughs) The power of a Jane Brown ask. Yeah, be careful. It's true. Any, you, you who've been asked by Jane know what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's, yeah it's mm-hmm. been prayed over. It's just going to happen. You just have to say yes. it. So, uh, I, I'm pretty sure over the last 19 years, God has been winking and nudging at me many times and smiling, saying, yeah, you thought you knew, but um, actually um, this is a place. This has been a, a place of deep growth for me, a place to put some roots down and um, use my passion and my gifts. And um, I've enjoyed shepherding. Uh, women on my team. We started out with just four of us, and there's 10 of us now. Um, And we shepherd children every year. There's about 100 new families and parents and families and children um, from our neighborhoods every year. So 
the mission uh, has been deep and, and good. And like Suzanne said, I am so excited for you to uh, get to acquainted with Tara Hartman. She has been on our staff for several years, and she and I have worked closely together for the last few years as one of my assistant directors. She is sharp. She is good. She has a heart for kids and our staff, um, and this is going to be a very smooth transition. So I'm grateful to her and uh, excited. So thank you for the privilege of being here. Uh, My dog is... Nobody has told my dog that we're retiring, so she's going to be very sad come September. But, um, yeah, it's a bittersweet thing, but um, it's, it is good. So thank you, church. Would, yes. So I would invite you, words matter to this woman in a beautiful way. And so if you have had a child go through the preschool program, been impacted by the ministry that is our preschool, I would invite you to take a couple of minutes in the next week and write Lori a note. You can send it to our church office, and we will make sure we get it to her. But would you join me now in just saying a prayer blessing over her? God, you said to your disciples, the way you teach and Love, children, will be a reflection of your love for me. And the truth is, Lori loves you deeply. And she has loved children deeply. And I thank you that as a church, we have had the privilege of partnering with her, cheering her on, um, as she and her amazing staff have taken generation after generation of two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds and planted in them the truth that you never let them down and you never let them go. I pray that as she transitions now into this new season where you have called her and you are sending her that that same truth will be true for her that you never let her down, and you never let her go. Thank you for the ways she has blessed our church, blessed and uh, started so many children on their journey of faith. I thank you that the world and even eternity are different because of her leadership and her ministry and the ministry of our preschool uh, teachers. God, we pray for Tara. Would you empower her? Thank you for her leadership and her faith. And I thank you that uh, we are excited about what you will do in this next season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Would you join me in thanking Lori one more time? I'm going to use this since I don't see a... uh, what do they call those? And I'm going to preach in a minute. That's frightening, isn't it? That I can't find my words. This will work. So my name again is uh, Suzanne Vogel. And we are currently in a series where we've been listening to the words of Jesus. This is his first major sermon, a sermon where he's casting vision for what it will mean to be the people of God 
and what it will look like to walk with God. And so if you are just joining us for the first time this morning, buckle up because we are in the midst of what we call the Beatitudes, the statements of blessing that Jesus makes. And so if you have a Bible, you can open it to Matthew 5. If you don't, just follow along with us on the screen. We're going to begin again with chapter 1, or verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. So when Dennis and I were dating, we took our first major road trip. Was out to see my folks who live out in central Nebraska. uh, And we were both, at the time, students at Drake. So we left Des Moines about 9.30 or 10, right? Which would have put us in Omaha about 11.30 or noon. So as we're driving, I think, we'll probably stop for lunch in Omaha. Only we didn't stop. And he didn't even say anything about stopping. So I thought, okay, no problem. Lincoln's only another hour. That'll be about 12.30 or 1. We're probably stopping in Lincoln. And then we got to Lincoln, And we didn't stop, and he didn't say anything. And at this point, I may or may not have said, are you trying to starve me? Because here's the thing. Turns out, when his family traveled, they ate breakfast, and they ate dinner, and then they drove. They skipped lunch. What kind of craziness is this? I had to rethink my whole relationship with him. Can I be with someone who doesn't eat lunch? Is this even a possibility? Uh, We may or may not have taken a picture of that day to mark it for posterity. Can I get an amen in the house? Oh yeah, I am all about this. Now I have to tell you, I come by my love of food naturally, actually. My paternal grandfather and my step-grandmother loved to travel. They camped and they would go all over the place. And we would go to their house and we would hear about their trip, not by the places they had seen, not by the things they had done, but by the food they ate, right? They would go, my grandfather would talk on and on about the French onion soup they'd had in the Boston area or the amazing pie that they'd gotten in Stanton, Virginia, And I remember my sister, actually my siblings and I, sort of it became a running joke 
for us. We'd kind of giggle when he would do this because it was all about the food. And then I realized after the recent trip I took with my sister that I actually took this picture. And I may or may not have included it in a scrapbook of our trip. So clearly, I have come by my sense and love of food naturally. So I believe I am well positioned this morning to preach a sermon about how hunger and thirst are connected to the kingdom of God. It's like I was born for this moment. Uh, And maybe some of you know this well. See, Jesus... In this particular beatitude, says something very simple. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I got to tell you, right out of the gate, I am skeptical. Because the truth is, I'm not sure hunger and thirst are a blessing. It signals lack and emptiness, and not having enough. And while, to be honest with you, I've joked this morning about being hangry, there are very serious forms of hunger. See, I don't think Jesus here is talking about being inconvenienced because he didn't get lunch on time. The kind of hunger he's talking about actually looks more like this. I was reminded of it this winter when I went with a team to Haiti. We would, as a part of what we did, go and do vacation Bible school for partner churches. And we would go and we would have a skit and we would do crafts. And the kids were all about that. But when it really got serious was when we fed them. See, we took rice and beans, enough for all of the kids who were there. And as you can see, they held those plates full of rice and beans as if they were given the best gift ever. I was convicted because actually one of them, one of these little ones, uh, probably maybe four or five-year-old, dropped some rice on the ground and literally shooed a chicken away so she could pick it up and make sure she ate every last grain. Hunger and thirst, not inconvenient hunger and thirst, like hunger that has serious consequences, thirst that has implications for health and life. And Jesus says that kind of hunger and thirst is a blessing? I'm not totally sure I'm buying this yet. Now, Jesus goes on and clarifies a little bit, but I don't know if it helps that much. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I think there's a couple of implications in that statement. First of all, it implies that there are other things we could hunger for, other things we could thirst for. See, there Our lack, our emptiness, are a natural reality, right? Your body, if you don't feed it, will get hungry. If you don't drink, you will get thirsty. In and of itself, emptiness, lack, is not abnormal. 
the key thing that happens is we have a choice about what we do with our hunger and our thirst. And our appetites get us in trouble sometimes. I love how Isaiah says this. He is speaking for God to the people of God and to us today. And he says, why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? We have a tendency when we feel our lack, we feel the lack, right? And we feel the emptiness to fill it with all kinds of things that at our best maybe temporarily satisfy us and at the worst destroy us. Let me give you an example. I'm sure you know how this goes, right? You have a really bad day at work, right? That your coworkers are getting on every last nerve. Things are not going the way you had hoped. Perhaps you didn't get the promotion you want. You come home and you eat anything that is not nailed down, right? Because you don't want to feel the sadness and the hurt and the anger. And so we fill, we fill, we fill. Now that may not be your drug of choice. Your drug of choice might be shopping. Or it might be Netflix. Or it might be to drown your thirst with alcohol. Or all kinds of other illicit things, right? We all have things we turn to to deal with that hunger and with that thirst. And the stinky part is that we consume, and that doesn't actually quench our desire, it actually creates a cycle. So for example, let me tell you how this goes down at my house. Bad day, eat everything that's not uh, nailed down, feel guilt and shame about that, have more lack, more hunger, more sadness, and what do I do? I drown it with a high fudge sundae. And then I feel shame and anger and guilt. You hear me, right? You know the cycle. And it goes and it goes and it goes. We consume what we desire and we desire what we consume. And it is a cycle of death. Because ultimately it just keeps turning on us. Now, it's no wonder that God looks at us and says, stop. When I was growing up, my dad liked crispy food. Now, what I mean by that is well done. He liked his cookies crispy. He liked his meat crispy. I did not know a steak was not supposed to taste like a shoe until I got to college. Anybody else? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. In fact, it was hilarious. We went on a cruise um, a couple of years ago as a family, and my dad tried to order a well-done steak. And the, uh, the, the guy who was serving us said no. He wouldn't even let him order a well-done steak. He's like, no, that's an injustice to meet. And so it wasn't until I was in college, and actually my husband took me out for dinner, that I had my first medium-rare steak. And it was juicy, and it was amazing. And what I realized is I never knew what I didn't know. I had been so used to satisfying my appetites. And then I had the real thing. And it was like, oh, 
It's amazing. And see, I think this is true for so many of us. We settle for the stuff that doesn't satisfy when in fact God looks at us and says, come here. You have no idea what you're missing. I love how, again, Isaiah says it. He speaks with the voice of God to his people and says, Everyone who thirsts, come and come to the waters. You that have no money, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Now, the only trouble here is that Jesus says what's really good is righteousness. Really? See, Jesus says that what will ultimately satisfy us is righteousness. Now, I think that's a word that most of us don't have any idea what it actually means, and we frankly haven't heard it anywhere outside of church. Have any of you heard the word righteousness outside of a church building? Yeah. Maybe if you surf. That's the only place I can think that maybe you would have heard that word. And I'm not sure it means what we think it means here. So oftentimes, I think it's interesting to think about when we think about what it means to be righteous or what righteousness is, what are some of the words that come to mind? I'm not going to ask you. I, I understand we won't play uh, answer the teacher today. Johnny's like, yes, thank you very much. But I think oftentimes when we think about righteousness, we think about external good deeds, right? Someone is righteous who gets up at 6 a.m. and reads their Bible every morning. Or someone is righteous who maybe fasts. Or someone who's righteous who, who uh, goes to church every single Sunday. But that's not what righteous means. It's not what righteousness means. Actually, righteousness is about being in a right relationship. It means, like an old saying you maybe heard, to be in right relationship and to do right by someone. Have you ever heard that phrase? To do right by someone. And what it means is to, it's a relational word. It's not a behavior word. It's, a, it's about being in right relationship with another person, whether it be God or one another. And Jesus says that that's the thing we are invited to long for. Now, the great news is that Jesus does not say, blessed are those who are righteous. Can I get an amen in the house on that one? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for things to be made right. For things to be made right between them and their God. For things to be made right with them and others. For things to be made right even with them and creation. For those of you who hunger and thirst, who long desperately for things to be made right, Jesus says, that's the ticket. Come to me. I'm the one who satisfies. 
And here's the deepest truth. Righteousness must be received before it can be practiced. Righteousness comes from outside us. We have to, in the words of the metaphor, we have to take it in. Romans 3 says it this way, there is a righteousness that is given to us in Christ. We don't earn it. We don't buy it. It's not in us. Our natural state will be to be broken, to not have enough energy or goodness to get it right. We will not in our natural state do right by our spouses, by our classmates, by the people we work with, by our neighbors. Righteousness comes first from God. And then it can flow outward. Now, this is good news because if we choose to bring that emptiness to God, it says, guess what? It will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, who come. God says, that's all I want. You come. I'll provide. And if the truth is we desire what we consume and we consume what we desire, then that same cycle can actually be true with God. Here's what's true. I know what's true. When I have that horrible day and I choose, instead of plopping myself down on a couch, I go and walk with God and listen to worship music, something different happens. Or when I'm angry at my child and I choose to pray about it instead of gossiping or yelling or eating or, you know, something different happens. It doesn't always happen immediately, but that's the place, right, where we bring that emptiness, where we make the choice to bring it to God instead of trying to take care of it ourselves. God said, that's where blessing happens. And here's the beautiful part. I don't know if you noticed this, but if you've ever read your Bible, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of imagery around food. It's almost like God knew, like, you know what? You're going to need tangible things to understand what's happening spiritually. Our foreparents, our origin story involves food that we weren't supposed to eat. Not because God was a jerk, but because he was trying to teach us how to trust him. And then later, if you think about it, worship involved food. The people of God would gather, they would sacrifice, and then they would eat. And when the people of God were delivered out of slavery, God fed them daily with manna. And the picture of the land where God was taking them to involved milk and honey. It was a picture of abundance. And when Jesus came, the very first miracle he did, by the way, was turn water into wine. That's right. And when he came, one of the first things he started doing was feeding people. As we 
connect with God, as he pours into us, as he feeds us, his heart is that we would turn and do right by the people around us. It's why I am so excited about the opportunity we have to feed kids this summer. Right? Because this is the picture. God feeds us, we turn and feed other people physically, and that opens doors for emotional and spiritual connections. This is our uh, parking lot over at our Meredith Drive campus. We're partnering with Johnston Schools. God opened all kinds of crazy, amazing doors for this to happen. We aren't even having to pay for the food. The USDA is paying for the food. Johnston Schools is cooking the food. All we have to do is get the food and love kids around picnic tables. And you know what the craziest thing is? Those picnic tables were made by Larry Madole and Larry Farrell, by the way. Thank you. And... They're already attracting kids. They went in Tuesday. I went walking Wednesday just to sort of pray. And already there were kids. There's no food there yet even. We hunger and we thirst. And part of our privilege is as people who have found bread to invite others to the table. This week, might you be fed And might you feed others. Let's pray. God, I thank you this day that you don't shame us because we aren't good enough. That you know our hunger and our thirst. You know we blow it. You know our sin. You know our brokenness. You know that there is never enough in us that we lack. And you aren't scared of that. I pray that this day, in this moment, in this quiet place, we could just name again that we aren't enough and we don't have enough in us. And we would turn to you God, forgive us. We're sorry for the ways that so often we try to fill that lack with a thousand other things. When the truth is, you're the only one who really satisfies our souls. So even as we sing this last song, I pray that we would, as we sing it, declare our need of you that we would do so unabashedly as people who, like little children, can come to their father and say, when's supper? I'm hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?